Hello. Hi, Rebecca. It's Beatrice. Hi, Beatrice. It's Rebecca. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. I want to tell you okay. that this week I became obsessed, I don't know why, with getting a very dark brown T-shirt, just like a completely simple but beautiful very dark brown T-shirt. And this is proving difficult. I, I was like, about to say. Mm. Yes. I've got one which I ordered online, which was about £3, so not my usual kind of don't usually go there. Mm. But it was the only one I could find that was a men's one, Fruit of the Loom. And it's okay, but it's not dark enough mm. or gorgeous enough. And did you and I, did you also look very high-end or you didn't? I did. I mm. need to continue with the high-end because I feel it's maybe not the right time because it's the sales. Mm. But I'm trying to find – and I wondered if you had any thoughts on where I might have a perfect dark, dark brown. I don't know why I want it. I just really know I do. Yeah, I, I suspect you're just very avant-garde and next year. I truly am. Yeah, I? next year we will be, everything will be awash with dark brown t-shirts. <laughs> well, I was just thinking it would look amazing in summer. No, and I also, I, I, I just do. thought, yes. I really like brown and blue. I do. So. Well, I'm thinking with my blue eyes, let's go yeah. for it. yeah. I'm afraid I can't help. I haven't got my my okay. my first instant That's thought. Right. My instant thought was this will be difficult. Well, it's a your challenge. Your instant thought was correct. Mm. It is a challenge. So I've got a like temporary hold, you know, in that I have my my men's one, which you know, but it's not right. It's not right. It's not what I want. It's I can weird. see in my head what I want. It's weird how you think there's so much choice. I always have that when I. I'm a I'm a one handbag person, you know. I just have mm. I don't swap. I just always have Good one until it wears out, and I always have such trouble finding bags. Yes, and it's and difficult. even even if I was to spend a thousand pounds, there would still not be one I like. I think. Well, that's the thing. I can always see in my head precisely what I want, and then it's like waiting for that to occur. Hmm. Well, in the olden days, I guess with t-shirts that doesn't really work, but. That, that must have been such an advantage if you could afford having stuff made for you. It really would be good. If I mm. had my local dressmaker and I could go and say, I know a T-shirt is not the most exciting thing, but please make me a beautiful T-shirt. Yeah. Oh, well, you must okay, tell well, keep, me. Keep your eye on Yeah, and keep you me know. informed of the progress of your research. Oh, I will. Of your I research. will. This is now a mission. Okay. I need to find it. Mm. Okay. Okay. Uh, so what have you been thinking about? Well, I've come back yesterday evening from two days um, attending Everyday Fashion Conference. It's called. Oh, I forgot you were going. To yeah, that. that's exciting. It was very exciting. It's called. It was called Everyday Fashion: Extraordinary Stories of Ordinary Clothes, and it was lovely. The first day was in Huddersfield. And where was? Oh, in yeah. First was in Huddersfield, and the second was um, at the University of Leeds. And it was organised by Beth and Byde, who used to be our collaborative PhD student. Oh, yes, lovely. And then Jade Halbert and Liz Traganza, who also have finished their PhDs in the not-so-distant past. And they're, they're all interested in everyday fashion. Yes. So, yeah, it was, it was really, really interesting. I mean, as you can imagine, it was you can take this in so many directions. Yes, absolutely. So it was very 
diverse. I would say the majority of the talks were sort of 19th and 20th century, not so much early, although although some people took it early. And it, it also was one of these panel conferences, so I couldn't, you know, I didn't attend everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you had to make a decision, which is always so hard. Oh, I don't like that. I no. like being able to, that everyone sees the same thing. I know, me, me too. Um, but they apparently had a hundred or so um, submissions. So they, wow. So I just thought um, there were sort of some themes that came out mm. quite strongly. And I, uh, well, one, one of the main things was that people kept saying that it isn't paid that much attention to or hasn't until quite recently. And people were sort of thinking about why that is. We can talk about whether that's true. So one thing that came up, so John Stiles, he gave one of the keynotes, he was talking about um, historians' obsession with innovation and that they like, they prefer to talk about, you know, when things change or when something develops. But that, again, also assumes... I've got another helicopter. I don't know what's going on here. Um, oh, I can't hear. It. Okay. Um, Is it the police helicopter? I think so. Or it might be. We have a we have a hospital nearby with a helipad, so it might oh, might right. be that. Um, so he was talking talking about that, which also came up in another talk. Judith Saunders. She's the archivist at Clark's, and I've heard her talk a few times. And her talks are always really interesting because she talks about objects that are not necessarily that prepossessing and I don't think she would mind me saying saying that but she always comes up with really interesting stories attached to them and she was talking about two 1970s few samples for 1970s Clark's children's shoes shoes yeah shoes were called the runabout and and it they linked they looked quite similar and not that interesting but then they linked to sort of very innovative process of doing PVC stoles and it was really interesting but she one, she one thing she mentioned was that Clarks for instance often didn't innovate as such but they were using other people's innovations in an interesting oh, way see. so they would not maybe be the first one to use a particular illustrator for their advertising so they would use someone who sort of tried and tested but then they still mm-hmm. make make it their own in a way so they're not copying but they maybe combine a few innovations from other people and make that that is their innovation that's in a way. really nice and i like that because it really underlines because as you know i don't like the trickle down theory mm. it drives me crazy and that really that is a really brilliant example of why it's not just trickle down mm. that it's it's like it sounds as though was she kind of say because it sounds like it's sort of adapting newness in relation to your brand and in yeah. relation to your customer. Mm. So it's not, as you say, it's not just copying. It's 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 a kind of innovation, or it's an, yes. but it's adapt adaptation, which is really important. Yeah, exactly. So that that was interesting. So I felt that they were both saying something slightly sort of. It was a sort of in a similar vein. And then the other thing that kept coming up was aesthetics, so that some of the objects maybe don't look that spectacular, and or some everyday dress, um, obviously not all of it, but some of it doesn't look that spectacular, and maybe that that is why there hasn't been that much attention, so that the visual is so important. And I thought that was interesting too, and I, I think... 
I think with that, there's, you need to look at different areas, like in exhibition. I wondered whether that came from exhibitions recently, haven't yes. been often about the spectacular. But yeah. yeah. I, can I just ask yeah. you, going back, where is the Clark's archive? I think it's slightly separated from the actual company. It's called the Alfred, right. Alfred Gillett Trust. Um, ah. And uh, I think it's in what, the west of England, but I should really know that. Okay. No, that's okay. You had mm. a lot of things to take in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can't know everything. No. But so, that's very... It's, there's a lot of interesting things yes. to say and think about here. Yeah. Because firstly, I'm not sure that everyday dress is ignored completely. Mm. Because... I mean, well, John Stiles' book on sort of more everyday dress came out at least 10 years ago. And there's Alison's book on everyday dress that's sort of 18th into 19th century. And then there's Rachel's book on W.H. Smith. I mean, Marks and Spencer. Yes. We went <laughs> to their archive, good. which is amazing. Oh, that's fun. It's amazing. But yeah. What did go- you see? I'll carry on with Yeah, you carry on. No, 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 I won't carry on. But just I think there are, or even like my own work. Yeah. The American look is about an idea of everyday dress. It may be not the cheapest everyday dress or every single lady's dress, but it also seems to me that this is about what you perceive as everyday. Yeah. Because is is it being used as a synonym for like working class? Mm. Or is it just, because I don't know, like a, a divine Chanel dress that costs £3,000 might be someone's everyday dress. Yeah. So I think it's like, it's really problematic. I don't mean the people speaking were problematic, but it's as a category, it's problematic because what does it mean? And I mean, there's loads of, co- sorry, I'm just going in a book now. Um, like all the coverage of fast fashion is about everyday dress and everyday dress as a category in crisis in a way. Mm-hmm. So I guess, was there like a definition given or definitions of what everyday dress was understood to be? Not really. And I I gave a talk as well. And I thought... Oh, well, you kept quiet about that. <laughs> what was that about? Mine was about potential obstacles for everyday dress making its way into the museum. Oh, And it turned turns out that I'm the obstacle. <laughs> that was my con- that was my con- <laughs> that was my conclusion. Um, <laughs> to put it in and long may you reign. Yeah, to, to put it in a nutshell. Um, but I did I did think um, I should start with a definition, and then I chickened mm. out. I I looked at um, Cheryl Buckley and Hazel Clark yeah. book, and that's a really good book. I yeah, know. it is. Um, and there is something about everyday, you know, what, what is sometimes extraordinary sometimes becomes ordinary. So there, yes. even the yeah. even a single object can change from being one thing to, to another. And I'm not sure they have one. Well, they do mention fashion as a, so they call it fashion as a practice of everyday life. Mm, but again, you know, I'm I'm not so sure. So I chickened out in the end. I thought I should start with it, but in the end, I didn't yeah. ever define what no, I, I mean, meant. It's difficult, but that's kind of what's interesting that you can say it's not covered as much. But then, I think you're right. I mean, I think there's 
I, th- I think there was a lack probably like 20, 30 years ago of anything other than couture or what the posh ladies wear mm. and court dress. But I think that has radically changed in the last, in that period since then. Mm. And I think also the the kind of, the understanding of, of, of the differences between categories of dress and categories of people is more complex. Yes. And so I think it is difficult to kind of categorize everyday dress because it can mean such different things to different groups of people. So, so in a way, what anthropologists study, like um, Sophie Woodward's things, mm. for example, Danny Miller, they're looking yeah. at everyday dress. Mm. So I think there's numerous ways it is looked at, but they aren't necessarily saying this is everyday dress. Yeah. It doesn't say everyday dress on the cover. So it's it's not defined as that, but it is that. Yeah, there's also someone called Ben Highmore. He writes... Oh, like, his work's really yeah, interesting on mm, every... Sorry, I'm yeah, jumping in. Yeah, no, no, you're... But, but, but that's interesting because, like, Ben Highmore's work, I guess I'm not sure when he started writing that, but, like, everyday studies within cultural studies i don't even know that cultural studies even really exists as a category anymore because it seems to be swallowed Mm. but that has been was a sort of hot button topic like 15 years ago Mm. and and i think that that various people have used like the photo and people Mm. to to understand dress in different ways so it's almost like rather than saying it's not done it's kind of thinking what are the kind of hidden texts of this field, if you see what I mean? They're like, there's all these things that are talking about it, but not expressly saying it's the everyday. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. And I do, I do think it has a lot to do with, with the media environment, partly, I think, yeah. and what we, what we keep seeing. And I, when I started to work on my talk, I thought, well, actually... A lot of the time, what I'm doing is in in my um, so-called is being an obstacle, <laughs> being an obstacle. Um, but also in in my so-called career, you know, I dealt a lot of the time <laughs> with clothes of wealthy people, very wealthy people. Yes. And what we had a lot of media attention recently was cl- clothes of Queen Victoria, um, the Princess mm-hmm. Margaret Dior dress, royal baby shoes. Um, but then the, the the Princess Victoria dress, in a way, is a case in point. It's a, a morning dress, but it was something she would have worn. You know, it's her everyday yes. dress. So and that's really fascinating. Mm, so, and I think, do you think? Because I think we both in our in our so called careers have <laughs> kind of experienced museums and different museums and galleries being mostly interested in the spectacular in terms of exhibitions yeah although I again I think that is quite complex because mm. it's certain places like the V&A or the Met yeah. or the Palais Galliera more recently also Palais Galliera not not like 20 years ago no. but then if we go to you know Liverpool or yes. you know it's it's also where it's situated yeah. if it's a decorative it, arts museum yeah that's a really important thing not to be not to be kind of international museum centric and think though that's the only voice and also that those big museums have a completely different remit exactly in terms of collecting and displaying mm. and it's 
it's like it's there if you look for it and it's kind of looking for the ways everyday dress is being collected, displayed, written about, photographed, etc. Mm. That's why I love documentary photography and amateur film and non-fiction film so much because you see everyday dress in inverted commas and you see how incredibly diverse it is. Yeah. And the way that it's influenced by, I mean, obviously I'm looking at sort of 2030s at the moment, so it's influenced by high fashion, by peer groups, by sports people, by Hollywood. So it's not, like a pure form do you know mm. what I mean because I think I don't think it sounds like this was happening at the conference but I think it can sometimes be viewed in a kind of old school view of subculture way as though it's this pure authentic form that's outside fashion do you know what I mean yeah. whereas it's as with subculture it's something that's continually evolving and being influenced and influencing exactly I think that was actually what came out a lot from of the conference so that what what a lot of people were were saying that it also changes that it's not static that it's not one big thing but lots of different yeah different things going on so in a way i think it's maybe it's more interesting to think about how to apply series of everyday to different types of dress what what do you mean well just like like Ben Ben Highmore did. There's a really good collection of everyday mm. theories, and, yeah. and I always give it to my students to look at. And it's really interesting because there's like Goffman talking about backstage and front mm. stage, mm. and that really makes you think about how how you prepare yourself and how you dress one way in one context, and you know that when you're in your house you dress one way, or to see certain groups of people one way, and then you perform, and that can be very complex within one person's very simple limited wardrobe can even be quite complicated you know I think there's like do you know what I mean I think there's like or like Serto and sort Mm. of how you yeah I also one of the examples I had were these two dresses of a woman who was a single mother in the 70s and she always worked as a administrator usually for local government so she gave us, she she had a lot of workwear suits from the sort of late 70s. And they usually, one was Marks and Spencer. The ones we took in the end was one's Marks and Spencer, one's is Richard Shops, which apparently... Like skirt suits. Yeah, so they're jersey and they're usually uh-huh. pleated. They're some sort of, yeah, jersey, woolly jersey or, or, mm. or woolen and artificial fibre. And they're, yeah. th- usually it's a pleated skirt with a s- sort of elasticated waist and then a s- same fabric top. One is like a blouse and the other one is a, m- more a bit like a long sleeve T-shirt with a, with a belt. So they're, ah. not, they're not spectacular at all, but they were both for special occasions. One was for an interview and she mm. got the job and one was Excellent. for a cr- Christmas party. And, and what colour? The one is lilac, one is sort of maroon, so quite 70s sort yeah, of colours. Yeah, very 70s Yeah, fabulous. so one is, yeah, M&S, as I said, and one is Richard Shops. And one thing I was wondering about as well, that I often use clothes as a sort of conduit almost to get to the story of the person. And yes. I was wondering whether that is a good thing to do, but I should maybe also pay more attention to the actual aesthetic qualities mm. of something that might at first glance you know not look, don't look so exciting but 
it's just a little bit harder, I guess, to, you know, it's not, it's easier to talk about some amazing embroidery and the spangles yes. and the rhinestones and whatnot. Yeah. But there's probably enough in those two suits as well, if, if I just yes. really, you know, spend the time looking at well, them. Well, certainly, you know, it's interesting, the choice of colours, which, as you say, links to the period but also she's clearly it seems like she's within the purple spectrum yes in terms of colors she likes mm. and just that it sounds like they're interesting because they're suits but they're also like dresses so they're kind of a feminine way to negotiate that space and that they're very appropriate to the spaces she was going in into but also kind of smart enough and an interesting color enough that they may be differentiated her I don't know no I think that's a very good point and in a way she is a bit uh she probably wouldn't like that comparison but it is a bit like Margaret Thatcher they are one of them has a small thrill around the collar yeah. so that it's it's quite fem- feminine but otherwise it's yeah. sort of very simple it's just got a few few sort of nods to very feminine clothes but otherwise it yeah it also is well, the other thing is she there are colors that are not shouting and I yes. think if you think about her role, she she was actually dealing with benefit claimants, helping them, yeah. and she would sometimes go to their home to help them fill in the forms. And she was meant to be respectable, looking respectable yes. doing that. And I, but also she wasn't the main person in that yes. job. So they're kind of soft fabrics. They're not. It's not like yeah. hard tailoring or something. And they're not shiny. They're they're, they're dull. Mm. So. And did she tell you what she wore with them? Well, shoes or... no, she. I. I need to try and get in touch with her again. I. I mentioned that as well. It's quite interesting. Sometimes people are very keen for us to have their clothes because mm. they know it's one way of them being remembered. Yes. Well, I. I assume that's sometimes the reason, but they sometimes still don't want to tell me that much about themselves, which is yeah. makes things difficult. And and she was. She was one of these people, but she, I remember she said one of the suits, or maybe both, after wearing them for this special occasion, she would wear them with either with a white blouse underneath or a cotton polo neck underneath. Oh. Uh, yeah. So without, apparently, it's a bit more special. And then with the white shirt or something else underneath, it's That's a bit kind less of special. Top. Yeah. So, but I don't know about the shoes. The other thing she gave us was um, a apricot-coloured toweling play suit for fabulous for going to rice. Isn't that lovely? Yeah, with a, it's the belt is wide and it's like um, a rope, and it and what I love the company is called Jersey and C is spelled like S E A. Amazing. Yeah, and and she wore that in rice lip Lido or going to the Isle of Wight. Fabulous. But that was for me. So that because that's already two types of eight every day exactly. that are simultaneously extraordinary and ordinary. Mm. Well, that doesn't sound like you were being an obstacle. Where, when did you start? You know, tell me, Beatrice. When did you start? When did you realise you were an obstacle? When no, did, when did that start? It's just I was I was sitting on these clothes for a little while. You know, I I mm. just kept thinking, should we have them? Should we mm. have them? Um, and I lot, a lot of it was that they weren't terribly exciting to look at. Mm. And I think that's partly also when I often think of what will they look like on display and what will I say about yes. them when they're on display. And it, it's also what how much chance do I have 
to get it on display with all yes. the other constraints we are under. So I think that was partly also the thing is I thought this often the story needs a lot of explanation and you can't yes. do that very well sometimes in a gallery where you have only you know we always have we always told people don't like to read long long captions yeah so how do you how do you tell that that story so that was part of the reason as well it wasn't just just yes. me and my personal <laughs> aesthetic pre aesthetic preferences um although i again that i wanted to make a little bit that point that that does come in when people collect oh i'm sure it does it, i don't know how you, you'd have to really work against it but then that would be even worse really. or you would have to have very very prescriptive collection yeah. policies that don't give any big wiggle that's room not good no that's not good either so C can i read you a thing yes um just it's been made it what you've been saying has been making me think i'm reading the king of fashion you know the autobiography of paul Poiret. Ah. i'm reading i'm into i'm interviewing it i don't mean interviewing it i mean reviewing it i thought you were going to interview him i'm going to interview him yeah through a psychic yeah that yeah. would be really fun mm. but i'm not in mm. fact but It made me think what you're saying about there's this little bit that I want to read you. Yeah. That he went, early on in his career, he went to work for Maison Worth, which was then run by the two brothers of Charles Frederick Worth, which is Jean and Gaston. And I just like this thing that he said about it. This is what Gaston said when he proposed to Poiret that he come and work with him. He says, young man, you know the Maison Worth, which has always dressed the courts of the whole world. It possesses the most exalted and richest clientele, but today this clientele does not dress exclusively in robes of state. Sometimes princesses take your omnibus and go on yeah. foot in the streets. My brother Jean has always refused to make a certain order of dresses for which he feels no inclination, simple and practical dresses, which nonetheless we are asked for. We are like some great restaurant which would refuse to serve aught but truffles. It is therefore necessary for us to create a department for fried potatoes. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, well, I'm sorry, Cody Clemens started barking. Yeah, he wants the mentioning to make fried of potatoes. potatoes. Yeah. Yes. But I like that. So mm. that's another synonym for everyday dress is fried potatoes dress. And wasn't there also, wasn't there a designer who called them the Fords? Yes. Who was that? Yes. Was that I think that was actually quite, well, I think that was actually quite a common thing that was said in the in the 20s and 30s because I think, I don't know if Chanel herself said it about her work, but certainly it's been said of it. And then like Elizabeth Hall said when she, the American designer who worked as a sketcher in Paris in the 20s, said that they were told to draw the Fords, the things that would sell and sell and sell in multiples. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, the dog next door is going mad and Coda can't decide whether he should go mad back or just keep his own counsel. I don't hear hear that really that much. Okay, uh, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Well, Coda can't quite believe whatever this other dog is saying. Oh, yeah. probably they're but having just, a little chat about everyday. They probably they are. They're saying, everyday dog collars. It's every day. Mm. I think it's special. Yeah. But I like it. And so Poirier goes and makes and develops their fried potatoes department. Wow. And makes everyday dresses. And the whole time he's there, Jean is just aghast at all of this. But apparently Gaston was more commercial, commercially minded, and realized that times were changing. And so he couldn't just make, you know, grand court dresses. You had to make things to be worn on the omnibus. 
So is that a new, did you say, biography or? Oh, no, it's, an, it's his autobiography oh, okay. that came out in, when is it, 31 originally, and the V&A, you know the V&A does? Oh, yeah, they republished, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's one, it's one they've republished. Oh, okay. It's very interesting. Mm. I, I mean, I read it years ago, and then I've read, like, bits of it when I've, I've wanted to refer to things, but it's fun to actually sit and read the whole thing again. Well, you must tell me more when you've read the whole thing. Oh, I will. <laughs> I'll read out chunks to you. So, where where are we at now? Have we come to a conclusion? That it's everyday dress is multiple mm-hmm. and complex and potentially hybrid. That yeah. it's been written about in numerous ways, but we need to recognise it. Mm. That cultural theories of everyday are very interesting. That you are an obstacle mm-hmm. and that we like fried potatoes. Okay. That's my summary. Very good. Thank you very much. I couldn't have done it. You're really welcome. Yeah. Okay. And now I'm, I'm going to go in and continue to try and find my everyday dark, dark brown perfect T-shirt. Okay. Yeah, let me know, as I said. Yeah, I, oh, I will. Get, yeah. Okay, great. All right. Speak Marvelous. to you next Talk week to you then. Soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.